0: For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Morning, those of you that are watching online, man, it's good to have you with us as well. Uh, as we get started this morning, one thing I wanted to uh, remind everybody about, uh, if you're new to CityWalk. Uh, And some of you, we've had several new people kind of start getting connected uh, here over the past few even weeks. Uh, But if you're new, one of the best ways to get connected that's actually happening today is once a month we do a thing called Intro to City Walk. And what it is, it's about a 30 to 45 minute uh, just kind of gathering in the fellowship hall, right? About, we start about 10 or 15 minutes after the service. And it's a spot where you get to ask questions, you hear a little bit more about what our church believes, why we do what we do, Uh, and it really just helps you kind of take those first steps to get connected. And so today we're going to be doing that, and so we'd love to have you, whether you signed up or not, we'll have some snacks there, Uh, and uh, we'll be done for sure well before the game today, so you will be, you know, wait, you're like 40, yeah. So... uh, but, but join us, it's a great way to get connected, get a chance to meet some of our team and just get some of your questions answered. Uh, and so that's today right after the service. So um, how many of you have a favorite, and not like I can really see all of you guys because of the lights, but if I could see you, how many of you have a favorite show that you watch and now you, you watch it, I mean you, you're, you're tuning in every single week. You got a favorite show, a few of you? Back in, but y'all remember back in the day where you had to like set your life up based on your favorite show? Now you don't have to, you just stream it whenever you want. But there was like, all right, Thursday night at eight thirty, I got to be home to watch this or, you know, uh, and then the VCR and all that. Some of you young people are like, what? I don't understand what you're talking about. Well, with a new year, there are some new shows. And uh, I've started to kind of track with a new show. Uh, and I remember in the fall, them advertising it. And then Uh, as we got into it, I've never watched it when it's on, but I, but I stream it later and it's a show special forces, world's toughest test. Some of you guys watch this. So basically what this is, it's a reality TV show that basically puts 16 celebrities through the same things that the special forces kind of entrance to the special forces, those tests, what they would have to go through. And so on this show, you have athletes, you have movie stars, you have uh, chefs. I mean, just different people that you've seen on TV and in sports in different areas. And uh, it's, it's neat to watch this because there's, uh, the way this thing works is there's, there's no rose ceremony at the end of this thing. There's no uh, special cash prize for whoever wins. All the people on this show are rich basically the goal of this thing is to live, to survive, to finish. And it's been neat to watch as they go through, I mean, intense and extreme things that honestly, I don't know if I'd be, I mean, I'd probably quit and you probably would too. One of the things that I saw just a show ago was they put, put these people in a car, they seatbelt the people in, then they drop the car into water, and I'm not talking like a little water, like under the water, and they have to sit with their hands on the steering wheel for like 20 some seconds without moving under the water until the, the, the person that's with them taps them, then they can undo the seatbelt and try to swim out. And it, that was just like one thing. They do several things like that, but it's, it's super intense, extreme, uh, and, and what's interesting is, I've been watching it. Is, man, as you watch these people, you, you see, man, what are they, when, when they're going through things that are, man, extreme and push them physically, mentally, emotionally, like how do they react to this? And, and now we're three shows in, and half the people have quit already. I mean, some of the ones that you thought would quit, they quit. But then there's some other ones that you thought would be the first to quit that haven't quit. And as I watch it, there's, it it's fun to watch and to, to kind of see some of the things they're doing, but it's also fun to just kind of think and analyze, like, what is it about that person that allows them to keep going when that person quits? Why? Like, what is it? Why? Why what's different What's the kind of maybe the secret sauce that propels someone to to move out of their comfort zone and and accomplish what they probably thought they would never do, what might even be impossible to them, while other people just give up so quickly? Like, what is it? And that's a question that is honestly bigger than a, a reality TV show. And it's been on the minds of people for really as long as there's been people on the earth. Like, what is it? What's the secret sauce that allows someone to face a challenge, an obstacle, and to deal with it in a way that is good and helpful, while other people that face maybe even the same obstacle or even easier things, they quit. Like, like what's inside someone that that pushes them one way or the other? And, And just a few weeks ago, we started to look at a guy by the name of Nehemiah, we've kind of begun to lean into his story. And Nehemiah was one of those people in history that came face to face with a heartbreaking, and even from a human perspective, an impossible situation, extremely challenging. And instead of Nehemiah running away, instead of Nehemiah pretending the obstacle wasn't there, instead of Nehemiah moving on, We've seen and we will see that this guy Nehemiah, he moves into this obstacle. He pushes through things. He accomplishes things that that probably others had tried and couldn't. And as we, and what the beautiful thing about the, the Bible is you, we already know the end of the story. So, so we're in the beginning of the story where he's facing this obstacle. He's grappling with this heartbreaking situation. And, and we know if you read towards the end of the story, we know what happens. We know that he accomplishes something that is seemingly impossible and extremely challenging. But, but here's the question What's the secret sauce? Like, what allowed him to go from an impossible, heartbreaking situation to accomplishing something that was hard and impossible and that other people would run from? What's the secret sauce? And I believe today, when we look at his story and we look at the few months that he took to just interact with God before he even moved into the obstacle, we begin to see maybe what some of that secret sauce was. And here's the thing, whether you're somebody that's new to faith, maybe you're investigating faith, maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time, every single one of us is going to come up against obstacles. Some of you are dealing with things in your life right now. And the same kind of secret sauce, the, the same thing that was the catalyst for Nehemiah moving towards this situation and doing it with peace and victory is the same thing that's available to us. And to kind of help us understand the challenge, let's, let's look back at the passage that we kind of looked at this past week, and let's just kind of review what Nehemiah is facing. It's Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 2. It says this. Hanani, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. And so we saw last week that this guy Hanani, he's he's Nehemiah's brother. His brother has traveled from Judah, which is about 700 miles away from where Nehemiah is serving uh, as, as the cupbearer for a king. And so his brother's just just taking a 700-mile trek to see him. And Nehemiah, when he begins to interact with his brother, when they begin to kind of catch up, he he asks him about two things. He says, hey, how's the city? How's Jerusalem? And then how are the people? How's the the Jewish remnant? How are the people that have went back? See, here's why this was a really, really important question and why Nehemiah was so concerned Because, and we looked at this this past week, in about 606 BC, the Jewish people were taken captive by Babylon. The city of Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. The the people in that area that was their home area that God had given them, man, they were taken hundreds of miles away to Babylon. And and then God had done exactly what he said he was going to do. And in 538 BC, he allowed and started to bring back some of those people that had been exiled, started to bring them back to their home area. In 538 BC, a guy by the name of Zerubbabel, he brought uh, some people back. They started to rebuild the temple. And then another guy by the name of Ezra in 458 BC started to bring a second group of people back. And so Nehemiah, as he's interacting with his brother, he, he knows that, hey, over this last kind of season or two, God has allowed people to start going back to the city that had been destroyed, the country that he loved. And so his question was a, a natural question. So how, how's the city? Like, like people are back, things are supposed to be getting rebuilt. How, how are things going and how are the people doing? And Nehemiah, in that moment, hoping for some really good news, I'm sure he gets some news that wasn't so good. His brother says this, they said to me, the remnant, the the people, the people that have gone back in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have been burned. And so basically the, the news Nehemiah gets is, is man, he, he gets news that probably couldn't be much worse. He hears that, man, the people that, that are back in the city, they're facing shame and danger and, and it's, it's extremely tough. The walls around the city that are their defense system are broken down. The gates are burned. Basically, the people are defenseless. And so this news that Nehemiah gets, it's, it's heartbreaking news, and he hears it. In his natural reaction, we see what he does. It, it says this. We looked at it last week. When I heard these words, I, I sat down and I wept. And, and this wasn't like a, hey, 30-second cry and let's move on with life. It says, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for a number of days for four months. Not only did he mourn, but he says he, he mourned for a number of days. He fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. See, during this four-month period of time from when Nehemiah, he, he heard this terrible news, he began to, to cry and weep and mourn. And mourning is like another level. It's not just like crying. This is like, This is affecting your whole life. It stops you. And for four months after he heard this news nehemiah mourned fasted prayed before the god of heaven and what's interesting is nehemiah he was on the inner circle with the king with the most powerful man in the in the world to him but yet for four months he kept quiet and he mourned he fasted he prayed he gained clarity. He talked to the God of heaven. And it's from this conversation because he actually writes some of the conversation that he has with God. He, he writes some of what he talked to God about over those four months. And it's, and it's from this conversation that we gain some insights on what gave Nehemiah the power to step into Instead of away from this obstacle he was facing. What we kind of see based on what, how he talks to God and what he says to God, how he responds. What we kind of get a chance to see what's in the secret sauce. And so he writes. He writes some of his prayer. And he says this. He starts his conversation with God this way. And we're just going to look at it phrase by phrase. It says this. I said lord the god of heavens so when when he's talking to god he says hey i lord the the god of heavens here's what he's saying he's saying god you're sovereign god you're you're bigger than i am you never face a a whoops or i didn't see that happen you're in control you're the god of heaven that's how he starts his conversation He starts it by pointing to the sovereignty and control of God. In the midst of the tragedy he had just heard about, he he starts by saying, God, you're in control. God, you're bigger than this. God, this isn't a surprise to you. And and then he goes on in his conversation with God. He says, not only he says, Lord, the God of heaven, but the next phrase, the great and awe-inspiring God. And what Nehemiah is doing here is he's, he's, he's pointing to God's power. He's pointing to the fact that God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He, he, again, God, you're in control, but you're also so powerful. Your, your power is way bigger than even I can imagine. And he starts with that. He starts by by pointing to God's sovereignty or control, but then he he begins to talk about how God, God, you're so powerful, you're so strong. But then what he does is he's having this conversation and we kind of get a little backstage pass into what he's saying. After pointing to kind of God's power and God's control, Nehemiah speaks of a very special and comforting characteristic of God. He says this, Not only are you in control, not only are you powerful and big and sovereign, but he says this, who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. He says, God, not only are you big, not only are you powerful, not only are you in control, you you never are surprised but you're also gracious and kind, and you're a promise keeper. You you keep your promise. You do what you said you're gonna do. You are loving and gracious, and your promises are kind. And the story of the nation of Israel is like a real life story of God keeping his promises. Because in 2000 BC, about 1500 years before this, God had promised a guy by the name of Abraham. He said, Abraham, hey buddy, I'm going to make your family a huge nation. And I'm going to give this huge nation a special land. They're not going to have to, they're just going to have to take this land. I'm going to give them. About 600 years after God said that to Abraham, God did that. About 1400 BC, God gave this nation that was now over a million people, a land, a promised land That he had promised Abraham even before Abraham had a kid of his own. Even before Abraham had a a kid of his own, he said, hey, Abraham, I'm going to make your kids a huge nation, and I'm going to give them a special land. And he did that. And God told that nation nation, man, I I love you. I have good for you. I have a plan for you. I'm going to give you some gracious and kind instructions to follow that will help you get my, kind of receive the best I have for you. And this nation disobeyed. This nation, instead of saying, God, okay, thank you for your graciousness. Thank you for your kind instructions. Thank you for laying out a path for us. This nation said to God, God, we're going to go our own way. God, we're going to do our own thing. Our plans are better than yours. And so this nation was taken captive. But yet, even while they were in captivity, God promised them something. He said, there's going to be a day when I'm going to bring you back and God kept his promise. And so as Nehemiah is crying out to God, he's crying out to a God he knows is in control, a God he knows is powerful, a God who who he knows is not somebody that just talks a good game but doesn't really come through, but he's talking to a God who cares and keeps his promises. That's who Nehemiah is talking to. And he goes on, And he says this as he's talking to God. He says, let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. See, Nehemiah, he was talking to a God who he knew cared, who he knew heard, who he knew saw. And so he's he's coming to this God in the midst of this tragedy, in the midst of this obstacle, in the midst of, I don't know what to do, and here's what he knows. God, I know you're powerful. I know you're sovereign. I, I know you you when you say something, you mean it. You keep your promises, and I know you care. I know you're listening. I know you're leaning in. I know you see. I mean, there, there's nothing worse, and, and hopefully you don't have this happen to you a lot, but there's nothing worse than talking to somebody who isn't really listening. And we haven't we all been on both sides of that? Like, like, let's be honest, some of you wives and husbands are looking at each other right now. But, but you, we've all been in that. Like, like there's times where you, you're talking to somebody, and they're, they're being courteous, but they don't really care. I mean, and it's obvious, like, they're, they're kind of listening, But on the other side, you've done the same thing. So have I. It's like, yeah, you know, I'm going to be courteous and pretend to listen. I'm looking at you, but my brain is somewhere else. I'm not really listening. And no one likes that. You don't want to be that person that's talking to someone and, man, and they're pretending to listen, but they're really in their heart like, please stop talking. Please stop talking. I've got something else to do. You don't want to be that person. And Nehemiah, he, he obviously didn't, wouldn't have said this to God if he knew God was like that. But, but here's what Nehemiah knew. Nehemiah knew that his God, who was all-powerful, all-control, like big, in charge of the universe, leaned in when his kids talked, listened, saw, cared, was interested, was waiting for his kids to talk to him. And so as Nehemiah is praying and as he's talking to God, he's talking to someone that he knows cares. And and here's what's interesting. See, and this is so impactful to all of us, Nehemiah's view of God impacted his response to the challenges. Just think about your own life. How you view God impacts how you deal with things you go through in life. If you think God is this far off, like, high school principal in the sky that's just waiting for you to do something stupid so he can bonk you or give you a detention. Like, when you face a challenge, you probably don't deal, you're you're probably not going to that guy quick. You're trying to just stay out of his way, keep your head down. But if you see God as a caring father who listens, who loves, who's leaning in, man, it, it changes the game when you go through something. And Nehemiah, he saw God as that caring person who's leaning in. And so as he's talking to someone he knows is listening, he knows is powerful, he knows is in control, he goes on in his prayer and he says, This I confess the sins that we have committed against you. Both I and my father's family have sinned. See, Nehemiah, he says, I confess. That word confess means this. It means to say the same thing about sin that God does. See, when we we confess, we're not saying, oh, I'm sorry if I hurt you. What we're saying is, God, how you see this is how I see this. If this is disturbing to you. It's disturbing to me. I'm agreeing with God. And Nehemiah says this, and I love how he does it. He doesn't talk about them and how they are the ones that have the problem. Nehemiah, he takes ownership and he uses the word we. Like we have sinned. I'm part of it, God. We have done wrong. And I'm coming to you and I want to, instead of pretending what we were doing wasn't a big deal and pretending you weren't really upset at it, Lord, I'm coming to you and I'm going to say the same thing about our sin that you say. I want to confess my sin to you, God. And I want to take ownership. I'm not going to point fingers. I want to take ownership that it wasn't just them But God, it was me. I was part of it. My family was part of it. This isn't, and in our society, this isn't like a a whoops, I messed up, or I'm sorry, hope you're not too mad at me. This is, no, God, I'm going to see this thing the way you see it. And he goes on and he says this, he says, we've acted corruptly, that word corruptly is terrible. Like, we've acted terribly, God, toward you. We've not kept the commands, the statutes, and ordinances that you gave your servant Moses. God, we didn't listen. We didn't obey your word. You told us that your way was best. You gave us kind instructions to help us walk in your way. And we didn't listen. We chose to disobey. And we went our own way. God, I was a part of it. I confess And after being honest about his nation's sin, what he does towards the close of this prayer is he repeats some of the kind instructions that God had given him. He says this, please remember what you commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. And what Nehemiah does is he's, he begins to just repeat some of the gracious, kind instructions that God had given him. And the first thing he says, is like, God, you told us that if we were unfaithful, that you would scatter us. You were clear about the consequences. You always are. We just don't believe you. And he goes on and, and, and reminds God of things that God said to them. But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles were banished to the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to a place where I chose to have my name dwell. Verse 10. They are your servants, your people. You redeem them by your great power and strong hand. God, you've already rescued these people once. You rescued them out of Egypt. Out of slavery, you gave, you, these are your people, God. And God, you, you're already beginning to rescue them again. And then he says this in verse 11. He says, please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your servants, and I love this phrase, who delight to revere your name. He says, you know what, God. Though we've disobeyed you, we've disregarded you in the past, you didn't forget us. You didn't forget your promises. And now, God, we take great joy and delight in honoring you. We delight to revere your name. We haven't always done that, God. But now, we're going to do it. Like, Lord, we, we're excited about following your plan and honoring your name. We delight in that. And then he says this. Give your servant success today and grant him compassion in the presence of this man. So who's this man? The king, Artaxerxes. There's this man that Nehemiah works next to. On a regular basis, this man that is the most powerful man in Nehemiah's world. Nehemiah, after he's closing his prayer time down, he says, oh, God, give me success. Give me success today. Grant him compassion. Lord, work in this godless king's heart. And God, give, give him uh, compassion For what I'm going to talk to him about. Help him to care. Help him to be empathetic. God, you've got to work in his heart. It's going to take a miracle. And grant him compassion in the presence of this man. At that time, I was the king's cupbearer. Nehemiah knew that though he was in the inner circle of the king. And probably respected by the king. Probably even a friend on some level with the king. He knew that. He still knew it was going to take a miracle of God for the king to show him favor and help him with the tragedy that was taking place in Jerusalem. And so during this four months, and we just get a little like, little section of scripture that kind of tells us some of the things that Nehemiah, during four months, this, what he was grappling with and how he was talking to God, how he was praying and fasting, It was during this four months of prayer as he contemplated the need in Jerusalem that God provided him clarity. And here's what Nehemiah was reminded of during that four months. And and this honestly is the catalyst, I think, everything that happens in the rest of the book. He was reminded of who God is. Because if, if he did not have an accurate view of God this thing was never going to change. God reminded him during this four months, he he was reminded of who God is, that God is all powerful. God is gracious. God's a promise keeper. God cares. He's in control. He was also reminded of what God said. You hear him. he, He rehearses some of the promises, some of the kind instructions that God had given the nation of Israel hundreds of years earlier Nehemiah, during this four months, he's reminded of what God said, but he's also reminded of of he and his nation's sin. During this time, he, he gets some clarity on the sin that he and the nation had done against God. And then he was reminded and kind of given a clarity on what God was calling him to do. Like after this, and we'll see next week, like after this prayer, you're about to see it's go time. And so during this four months, as Nehemiah has been like fasting and praying, and God is reminding him of, of, him of these things, God is also in the midst of this, he's given Nehemiah clarity on Nehemiah, here's what I'm calling you very specifically to do. Here's how you're going to help be the answer to your own prayer request. Nehemiah gets clarity during his time with God, and it's from this place of clarity that Nehemiah says, God, I want to honor your name. Give me success in what you have called me to do. God, I I have a better picture of who you are. God, I have a better picture of of what you've said. God, I've been honest about my sin and now I have some clarity on what you're calling me to do. And so God, because of what I know, because of what you've reminded me of, God, I'm asking you, give me success at what you have called me to do. It's bigger than me, God, I, I need you. Because when Nehemiah heard the news he he could have blown it off. He, he could have moved on. He could have maybe just sent some resources real quick. But if he would have done that, he would have missed out in a monumental way on what God had for him. And it was because Nehemiah allowed himself to feel the pain, to lean into the discomfort when it hurt, It led him to spend four months in the throne, not throne room of not the king, but the king of kings. And during that four months, he was positioned for transformation, both for himself and for his nation. So here we sit. 2,500-ish years later. We sit here today. We face challenges. We come up against obstacles on a regular basis. And in most cases, even if we don't know we're doing this, in most cases, we allow fear to dictate our response. Again, no one wants to admit that. That's not something that you would even probably say about yourself. But, But at the end of the day, the obstacles we face the challenges we face, we give fear a really big seat at the table when we're dealing with those things, just naturally. I mean, we we live our lives. I was just talking to a a dad this morning about how, man, there's just a generation of, of, of people that just their whole life, they're anxious and anxiety and fear. It's just, it's crippling to so many people. And that natural kind of bent for, for most of us is when we face an obstacle, when we face something that's challenging, is, is we invite fear to come to the table as we deal with it. And, and this fear, it leads us to run, it leads us to hide, it leads us to, to go to substances to kind of make things go away or make things more calm. It, it pushes us to make excuses, lose focus. And it kind of makes the unwritten goal of our life personal comfort. Like, I just want—what do I got to do so I can just be comfortable? And it doesn't have to be that way. See, it wasn't for Nehemiah, though I'm sure he was very tempted to invite fear to sit at the table, to invite hopelessness to have a seat at the table. I'm sure in the midst of the tragedy and all the things that he was hearing and the overwhelming news that he got, I'm sure there was moments where he was tempted to, to throw in the towel and give in to fear and hopelessness, but that's not what he did. See, it's just not how he did things. He, he listened to God and he gained the right perspective on a few things. And I want you to lean in on these, on these things because this is, I think, the secret sauce the reason Nehemiah, the reason that you're reading about him and I'm reading about him 25 years later, 2,500 years later, is because he didn't invite fear to dictate his life. He didn't invite hopelessness to dictate his life. He didn't take the easy way. He didn't run away from Discomfort. He leaned in. He got clarity as he spent time with God. And he got clarity on a few very important things. He got clarity on who God is. And it gave him confidence. Gave him confidence. Some of us that are here today or watching online. This word, you don't even know what it feels like. And that's not a rag on you. You don't even remember what it was like to have confidence, to walk through life, not being afraid, not being anxious, but being confident. And this isn't a cockiness. This is a, man, I know who my God is. My God is all powerful. My God is in control. My God listens. He hears. He's gracious. He's leaning in. I'm not leaving this earth one second earlier than he plans me to, or one second later. He's got this. And when we have a handle on who God is, it gives us confidence. It gives us confidence. And you're like, man, how do I, grab, like, how do I know who God is? Well, he, he gave us a cheat sheet. He said, I'll actually just come to you and live, and you can watch me. And he did that. His name was Jesus. Jesus. Who's God? What's God do? What's God think? How would God react? Look at Jesus. And as we get a handle on who God is, like Nehemiah did, it gives us confidence. Not only did Nehemiah have uh, just really gained perspective on who God is, but here's what, also what he gains perspective on, his own sin. And when he did, it gave him freedom gave him freedom. See, here's the thing. Some of us don't know what this feels like. I live in the United States. I'm free. Okay. But you don't know what it's like to be free on the inside. Here's what you know what it's like. You, You know what shame feels like. Because there's this voice, and it's not God's voice, that when you try to take a step or when you try to do something for God, he's just reminding you of your failures. And and, and we, we come to God as if God doesn't know how we failed, as if God doesn't know how we've offended him, as if God's going to get mad if we tell him. And God's like, hey, just just let's talk about it. Just tell me the truth. Just tell me what you're afraid of. Tell me what you've struggled with. I already know there's freedom as you share, as you are open and admit what your sin is. As you agree with me, God says, as you confess and agree with me, it brings, it brings freedom. It brings freedom. And, and you've experienced this in some ways. I mean, haven't you had a time in your life where you had something and maybe you did something wrong or Maybe you can remember all the way back to when you were a little kid. And you did something wrong. You knew you did something wrong. And it was heavy on you. You were convicted. You felt bad. It was just on you. And it took maybe a day. Maybe it took a week. Maybe it took a long time. And, and eventually you went to your mom or dad. Or you went to your husband. You went to your whoever you had offended or done wrong. And you got the courage to just tell them the truth. And, and, and it didn't fix everything. And there still might have been consequences and a punishment if you were a little kid. But just the fact of you telling them, it was almost like weight was lifted off your shoulders. And and it's that freedom that for some of us, man, we've not experienced because we're not honest about our sin. And Nehemiah said, God, here's what we've done. Here's where we've gone wrong. Here's where we've disobeyed you, God. It's on us. And he gained freedom which allowed him to move on to the, sec- the last thing he got perspective on, and it's his part in God's plan. It's that direction. See, when I, when I see God clearly, and I'm honest about where I struggle and I gain freedom, it's in those moments that God gives incredible clarity on how he wants you to be used in his kingdom. See, God has an incredible plan for all of us, but but when we don't, then when we're kind of listening to the voices that are telling us things about God that aren't true, or we're listening to the voices that tells us, you know what? I can never admit my sin. There's too much shame in that. When we listen to those voices, God's plan for us gets really cloudy and hard to hear. And, And Nehemiah, as he Gained clarity on who God was, and he was willing to say, Hey, here's where I'm wrong. Here's where I've sinned. God gave him incredible, and you'll read through the rest of the book incredible clarity down to the very clear details about God's plan. And there's honestly, there's nothing more satisfying than being in your place, living out your purpose. In God's plan. There's nothing more satisfying. And if you find yourself, and if you're honest and you'd say, you know what, I kind of find myself bored with the Jesus thing, and maybe you're really attracted to the world. One of two things is true maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. If you, find your, you, you hear me say things like, hey, man, when you find your place in God's plan, when you're honest about sin, when you're really clear on who God is and you find your place, man, there's nothing more satisfying if for you, you're like, oh, I just don't know if I believe that. It might be because you don't really have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're a fan, but you're not a follower. You're like, I cheer for Jesus, but I've not committed my life to him. Or... Maybe you do have a relationship with Jesus, but you have, like I said earlier, you've been kind of listening to the wrong voices. You've been listening to the wrong voices about who God is. You, you haven't had a good, clear picture of who he is. You, you've been listening to the wrong voices about your own sin, and you've been kind of putting it off like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. And, and to God, he's saying, no, that's a big deal because it's hurting you. Or maybe you don't have a good picture, and you've been listening to the wrong voices about God's plan, and maybe that's you. Whether whether it's that you don't have a relationship with God, or that you do, but you're just listening to the wrong voices. Man, the answer is the same. Run to Jesus. Run to the feet of Jesus and just say yes. Just run to Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, run to Jesus and say, yes, he wants a relationship with you. If you do have a relationship with Jesus, but you've been listening to the wrong voices, man, run to Jesus and say yes to what he says about you. Agree with him about how he sees you, not how the world sees you, not how shame sees you. Run to Jesus and say yes to how he sees you. Run to Jesus and say yes to his plan for your life. See, Nehemiah, he was faced with heartbreaking situation. He he could have easily listened to the voice of fear and hopelessness. He could have listened to the voice of selfishness that said, hey, don't get involved. Stay away. It's going to be messy. But he didn't. Instead, he ran to God and he said yes. He said, yes, you are all powerful, all knowing you are a promise keeper. He said, yes, my sin is destructive. God, he, he, he said, yes, I want to honor your name. Yes, I will step into your plan with confidence and humility. He said, yes, he agreed with God. And so here's my question. As we kind of close things down, pretty simple question. You already probably know it's coming. Here's the question, if you're watching online or if you're here, where do you need to say yes to God? Where do you need to agree with God? Do you need to agree with God on who he is? Do you need to agree with God on that? Maybe you're saying, you know what, Chris, I honestly haven't thought about it much, but I I don't think my view of God is correct. Correct. This idea that he's personable, this idea that he cares, this idea that he's all powerful, but yet he is interested in me and he loves me unconditionally. I just, I honestly haven't really applied that. And I don't have the right view. And so I just need to agree with God. I need to just say yes to who he is, to what the Bible says about him. Maybe for you, it's, I just need to say yes about my sin. I've been, I've been lying to myself. I've been struggling with this or that or that. I've been putting it off. I've been saying it's not that big of a deal. I've been hiding it. And Chris, I I don't even know what freedom feels like because I've just not said yes. God's, God said it's destructive. God said it's going to hurt me. God said it's not good. God said it's an idol in my life. And I've put that off, but I just need to say yes. I need to agree with God or maybe it's his plan. Maybe it's, you know what? God's been kind of pushing me in a direction. He's, he's kind of laid out something for me and I've been kind of fighting it and kind of, no, I've got a better way, God. I've got a better way to do it. I've got a better system. And, and I just need to say yes. I just need to say yes. I need to say yes to God's plan. See, the reason you and I are talking about a guy by the name of Nehemiah is because he simply said yes. And you and I, whether you're online or you're here this morning, we're never going to regret following his example. We're never going to regret saying yes to God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are just thankful for the story of Nehemiah. Lord, we're thankful for real people that had real struggles, that faced real challenges That we get a chance to read about. We get a chance to kind of live in their story and learn from them. And God, I pray for us, whether we're watching online or we're here this morning. I pray, God, that you would help us to gain some clarity like Nehemiah did. And God, if there's an area of our life where we are not agreeing with you. We're not saying yes. Pray you'd make that clear to us. Maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, Chris, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've, I've said yes to, to the relationship with Jesus. I've said yes to the gospel of how Jesus died and rose from the grave for my sin. I've said yes to that. But there's some areas in my life right now that I'm kind of going my own way, not really agreeing with God on, and I'm not saying Yes. is there an area in your life is there something that's coming to mind right now and, and if so would you be willing to just say God yes God yes that the sin that I've been hiding it, it is destructive and I, I'm done with it yes God I'm i am going to bring it into the light yes God the, the the way I've been seeing you and and the way that it's I've been looking at you in the wrong way and, and Lord, it's just been affecting my life. I'm, I'm, I'm going to change that. I'm going to look at Jesus and I'm going to learn more about who you really are. I'm going to just say yes. Or maybe you've been fighting, fighting God's plan. You, you had a better plan. You have a, a better opportunity in your mind. You're not sure that God's plan is, is really what, what you want. And for you in this moment, you just need to say, God, yeah, maybe it's not going exactly the way I thought. Maybe it's not the direction I thought life was going to go. But God, if this is your plan, yes. Just say yes. Lord, I pray for those that are just grappling with something right now, that they're just, just need to say yes. I pray they would. Maybe you're here, or you're watching online, and you would say, Chris, I, I don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. I've, I've not done that. I've maybe investigated faith, but I just haven't really done that. And, and for you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, it would be, man, the first greatest step for you would just be to say yes to a relationship with Jesus. You say, Chris, how, how would I do that? Well, it's, it's pretty simple. It's, would you just be willing between you and God, even right now in this moment, just between you and God, just to say, yes, God, I admit to you that I've disobeyed you. I admit to you that I've done things my way. Just, just admit that, just right now in your heart. Be honest. And then just, just talk to God. Tell God, God, you know what? I, I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose from the grave, that he did that to pay for my sins. Just tell God, just in your heart. And then just in the quietness of this room or wherever you're watching or listening to this, just invite God into a relationship. Just say, yes, God, I I want a relationship with you. Come into my life. Transform me. If you're here this morning or you are watching online and today you said yes, You made a decision to start a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you still have questions. If you're watching online, you can go to citywalk.cc and there's a a little decision card that you can fill out and we'll contact you this week and answer any questions you have and just kind of help you through this decision. And if you're here, you can, right in front of you there's a decision card that you can fill out take to the next steps table. Again, we'll call you this week and just want to answer questions and and really help you with this decision. Lord, thank you for your graciousness. Thank you for giving us the chance to say yes, even when we've said no for so many years. Thank you for being a God of patience, mercy, and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.